Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, nice seeing you again. We've been uh, back to hitting these up, so fun uh, getting back into it. And uh, we have someone that I've never met before. It's uh, one of your friends. So why don't you start us off uh, telling a little bit about why you chose Ryan as our guest? Yes. Um, actually, Ryan and I don't really know each other very well. <laughs> we sort of know each other through a third party who just happens to be the person I'm married to. Um, Brian, my husband, uh, we've been together a long, long time now. Uh, Brian got involved, um, I, I honestly don't remember how many years ago, with something called body art, which he discovered at a gym until he took a class and started taking uh, uh, further classes and over the years he got drawn very deeply into this thing called body art and he would he, he really was a transfor- transformational experience for him he's gotten into amazing shape he's gotten very deeply into it studied it and, and got certified to teach it and um, anyway Brian often talked about this guy Ryan uh, that he that his teacher who you know he was very inspired by and um, I just got very curious about Ryan and just was like, oh, who is this dude? And and I actually went to a class. Ryan wasn't teaching it. I was terrible in the class. I couldn't follow what people were doing. <laughs> I was I was a jerk. I I was like making up moves. It was hilarious. But anyway, I was really intrigued because I saw just how incredibly into it people are. And there's a community uh, around it that I could see, and it reminded me a little bit, you know, you and I and our sort of denim denim community experience. But anyway, I went online. I went on Facebook, and I found Ryan. And I just was like, who is this guy that Brian's always talking about? And I, I just read these Facebook posts and I was just like, wow, this guy just like doesn't leave anything on the table. He's just like, hi, today my post is going to call out religious hypocrisy and tomorrow it's racism and then it's white privilege and then it's toxic masculinity. And I'm, I'm this diplomatic guy who's always afraid to post something slightly controversial. So I'm, I was kind of in awe of it. And then one uh, post caught my eye. It was called, um, it was called something, let's talk about tights, actually, is what it was. And uh, after I read that, I said, definitely got to get this guy on the show. So that's, that's kind of the background. We've never really had an extended chat. We talked on the corner of 72nd Street and Broadway when Brian and he were coming back from a class. We ran into each other and they were being hilarious as ever together. They were kind of a, they've got quite a little fun little, little thing be, be, between them. But now we'll get to know uh, Ryan a little bit. So I'll let you do the official introduction. Ryan Daniel Beck is originally from Los Angeles, toured extensively as a dancer, working with Beyonce, the Black Eyed Peas, Momix, and in the Step Up film series. Now he is on faculty at the Broadway Dance Center in New York City and the owner of Body Art Studios. Ryan helps his clients prevent injury and stay pain free. Ryan, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? Happy Saturday. Are you guys oh man, good? we're really glad to have you here. Definitely. Yeah, I uh, I was introduced to you uh, through the article that um, Albert sent me, and I was just cracking up the whole time because I played sports growing up. I mean, if you've listened to any of the shows, you know, I have a pretty long hockey career, and I'm just like, I have a drawer full of compression pants and like compression suits, you know, and it's like. It's not the tights, man. It's not the tights. <laughs> yeah, I actually, it was funny because I, I, I you know, I, I notice a lot of these sort of incongruencies in terms of logic and what I call mental gymnastics that people play 
Um, and I, one of the questions that I always look at is like, what's the real issue? Is it, is it really about the tights or is it, or, or the tights are kind of like a facade or a cover for a much deeper issue. And that's kind of like where that post kind of came from. Well, Ryan, if you don't mind me reading your, your writing here, I just have to read the post because I think everybody listening will get more out of this conversation and get more into your psyche as, uh, by me reading it. So let's talk about tights. Um, toxic masculinity sure does love a double standard. Great opening. Uh, for some reason, every time the topic of boys and ballet comes up, you can always count on a few reliable homophobes to predictably drool some drivel along the lines, you never catch me wearing a pair of tights. That's so gay. But there are actually many instances where said homophobes would be perfectly content to wear tights under different circumstances. This got me thinking, it's actually not about the tights. Then what's the real issue? Uh, tight form-fitting uh, apparel has always been a functional part of high-performance movement. High-performance movement requires garments which allow maximum range of motion while minimizing anything that would constrict or inhibit the full function of the joints. So it's not about the tights. The real issue is the type of activity being performed while wearing the tights. Toxic masculinity dictates that is it, it is acceptable to, comp to compete athletically, subjugate your opponents, vanquish a villain, carve a gnarly wave while wearing tights. On the other hand, toxic masculinity has decided that celebration of beauty, expression of musicality and emotion, graceful, elegant control, rather than brute violent force and sensuality, while wearing tights is unacceptable for any self-respecting, quote, real man. So just remember, it's not about the tights. All right, freaking love that. I just love that. I've read it to many people and sent it to many people. Did you think when you posted it, uh, wow, I'm gonna get a lot of reaction to this or like what, what made you, you know, what, what, what made you post that, that particular uh, post and, and what was the response to it? Uh, you know, there, there, there was a, this last summer, there was an instance where um, an anchor on uh, one of the morning shows had, um, I don't know if you remember this. She, yeah, had, I do. she had made a comment about the prince um, taking ballet class and they started laughing about it. And um, as sort of the, the PR damage control, they brought a couple dancers whole high profile dancers onto the show and you know they they wanted to have this talk back and she made sort of like an apology to try to smooth it over and in in that conversation one of the one of the topics which came up was that you know it's it wasn't actually about the ballet that's that's not actually what it's about because you know for example if you ask a lot of men you know would you like your son to jump higher, you know, a six to 12 inch vertical jump. I say, yeah. And I say, well, you know, it's great. Ballet dancers have incredible vertical jump, you know? If it's dunking a basketball, then the 12 inch vertical jump is, is, is definitely desirable. But if the 12 inch vertical jump is connected to ballet, well, now, some, now somehow there's a problem with it, right? And, in response to that, one of the one of the conversations in, in our world was that the topic, which actually wasn't even being talked about in the apology, uh, she she made it sound as though she had you know she had offended the ballet world. She didn't offend the ballet world. What she was saying, the, the underlying implication was that ballet 
is somehow connected to homosexuality, which is somehow connected to women. And therefore, that's where the, 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 the problem, therein lies the problem, right? And that, that issue wasn't even talked about. The issue, the issue of the connection that people were making subconsciously, the implication that people were making subconsciously to homosexuality or to women's rights was not even talked about. It wasn't even glossed over. So on a very superficial level, it wasn't about ballet and it definitely wasn't about tights. So now I was just trying to bring to light that, you know, there's this, there's this fragility that we connect with masculinity and that fragility is very much connected to a hatred of uh, being honest. And, you know, I saw a post a week ago <laughs> and uh, some guy posted a picture of a sunset, a beautiful sunset. And he, he had captioned it. Um, I'm not gay, but this is a beautiful sunset. As if a beautiful sunset has anything to do with your sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, con did you confront that person and, and uh, tear him a new one as the, as the saying goes? Or did you, like, can you not let that, that lie? Well, it, 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 it actually, I mean, the thing is, I, I have, I have a, a degree of empathy um, for, you know, what I call recovering homophobes, recovering, uh, you know, people who are, who are recovering from the effects of toxic masculinity. I mean, one of, the, one of the people that I had talked about earlier with you was Liz Plank. And she wrote the book, For the Love of Men. And there's been a lot of conversation about the way that toxic masculinity uh, negatively affects women. But toxic masculinity negatively affects men in a lot of ways. And one of them simply being not being able to enjoy a fucking sunset. Like, enjoy a sunset. Wow. That is really getting to the, to, to the very bottom of why Adam and I got drawn into doing this, this podcast was just really understanding as we talk to people in, in our in our communities that men really were feeling very very trapped by this this male role that so many of them were were uh, living with and you know toxic masculinity being sort of the extreme end of the range of ways that men sort of find it difficult to be men it's interesting the first thing that you said was about is really like an aversion to honesty actually i mean that's like the most fundamental thing because that you know we don't want to get really too deeply into into politics or anything here, but th this question about about facts, um, honesty, whether or not there is some sort of objective truth that we're all able to talk about is 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 essentially under siege in our in our culture right now. But but I want to get to like more of a personal note here. Where did this passion to confront this kind of narrow mindedness uh, come from in you? Were you like you're a dancer? Obviously, you dance with Beyonce, so you're one of the coolest dudes ever. But, but tell us, were you as a dancer growing up in Los Angeles? When you said, "Oh, I'm a dancer. I'm going to dance class. I'm, I'm whatever," did you have people say, "Oh God, really?" Or did you did you have just support and you really did not have a problem with, with people knowing what you were doing with your your passion for dance? I'll say I'll say this. 
when I saw when I saw the the movie Billy Elliot, uh, I saw my I saw my life kind of flash before my eyes. So, uh, short answer: No, there was there was a lot of it, there was definitely not support, um, and there was a lot of pushback. Um, I would um, I would make up stories. Uh, and tell, particularly my dad, I'd tell my dad that I was going to go over and play video games at a friend's house, and I would actually sneak and I'd sneak out and go to a dance studio. Um, so, it, you know, there was a there was a long period of time where I was trying to I was trying I was the oldest, so um, there was a lot of pressure to, you know, sort of toe the line, and I. Um, you know, I was always told by my dad to find something that I really love to do and then, you know, go for it. Um, what I didn't realize was that there was an asterisk. And the asterisk was, it also has to be something that my dad <laughs> approved of. Um, so when I was about 18, I told my dad, you know, I, I, I came clean. And I told my dad that I'd been going to dance classes and I'd been secretly studying dance. and dance was what I wanted to do. And he outright said, no, that's not what's going to happen. And uh, how dare you? Um, he actually, he actually didn't speak to me for over six years. And um, it was only, um, it was only after he saw me dance on television that, you know, somehow that sort of changed his mind. I, I still have a very tenuous relationship with my dad, um, politically, his, like philosoph philosophically. Um, but yeah, I think that I think the dancing was a very early red flag <laughs> that um, we were going to have a we were going to have a fairly um, significant difference of opinion and approach to life. My mom has always been uh, in a in a sort of neutral position. She. She tries to keep the peace, and and my parents are still together. But um, wow, that's a long period—six years. I mean, I've heard stories like someone comes out and tells their parents they're gay, and you know that that could cause a a, a permanent rupture or at least six years. But just you know, you didn't tell them you were gay. You're you're not. Uh, but you told them you're a dancer, and your your dad didn't talk to you for six years. That's that's a really extreme reaction. What what do you think he wanted you to do? Uh, he wanted me to go to law school. Oh boy! <laughs> but I mean, it's you know. Also, I, I also realized that um, you know my dad taught me a really valuable lesson, which was the the negative effects that um, the you know fear of the uncertain, and that's what I realized many years later is that everything that my dad did and still does to this day is very much affected by his fear of uncertainty. And although it manifests in many, in, in many negative ways, I, I have to kind of separate myself. I have to separate my dad as a person and, you know, understand that in many ways he's affected by fear and he's affected by uncertainty and it, it kind of plagues him. So I've, I've, I've developed a, a degree of empathy for my dad and, you know, um, although we have we have a healthy <laughs> we have a healthy system of of, of keeping uh, space. Um, you know, I, I can I can talk to my dad now, and it's 
it's okay. I just think that's a very powerful message right there. You're understanding uh, and being empathetic towards the shortcomings, the differences between you and your dad. You actually identifying that your dad is is has this element of of fear driving his behavior. I, that rings really true with me because I think my dad's fear of poverty uh, uh, just completely like he and pushed and pushed and pushed the idea that we have to constantly work, put money in our pockets because it all go away. We could all be in the poorhouse one day. So I, I get that fear as a motivation. Do, do you feel, so you said you had this moment where he sees you on television and realizes probably that his son is talented and that his son is successful. So did that come change the dialogue or do you still sort of feel him underneath it all saying, damn, I wish this kid had gone to law school. No, I think, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, in some ways our, our, our relationship was, was damaged beyond repair in some aspects um but now he he fully realizes that you know um for better or for worse i'm i'm not going to end up living under the bridge and i'm I'm doing just fine and um i mean there's there have been instances where now i've actually you know sent him money so i mean it's like so you give off such a sense of composure uh, it, you know, in, in real life, when we're talking to you here, I'm just curious, were in this period that your dad wasn't talking to you and you realized that it was this going to be this, this, this very, very large obstacle between you, did you go into a funk over it or did you just sort of have this sort of, well, this, I just, I'm clearly seeing the situation. Did you always have this clarity that you're expressing now? Or were you like, wow, I'm hurting from this? And no, I was, I was extremely angry. I was, I was very angry. And it, um, you know, on the silver lining was that it motivated me. <laughs> it motivated me in ways that I I can't even imagine. I mean, I I was I was highly motivated, but um, in retrospect, I realized that I was motivated in large part out of anger. I wanted to. I really wanted to prove to my dad that he was wrong, that he had made a big mistake, that he didn't know what he was talking about, um, that he was being irrational. And the only way for me to prove that would be to, you know, work my ass off and kind of throw it back in his face. The problem was that later on, I realized for myself that holding on to all that anger was actually creating health problems for myself. And so, in a in a in a in a in a matter of self-preservation, I needed to release that anger and basically uh, release the feelings of resentment that I had held for my dad. Although they were justified, they weren't serving me in a way which was healthy or positive or beneficial. So I had to release it for myself. How did you do that? That is the essence. I mean, that is an incredible observation you made. And just how did you do it? How did you release the anger? Um, like I said, a lot of it had to do with me having understanding, understanding that my dad's motivations were coming from a very misguided but well-intentioned place. But did you do that? Did you get to that realization talking to someone just in your own mind, reading books, uh, body art? I mean, I'm just curious what actual mechanism helped you 
do that thing of releasing that anger? Just thinking it through? No, I, I read, I read, a, I read a couple books. Um, I read uh, Return to Love. I read um, The Four Agreements. I read uh, um, the, the, the Theory of Attachment. So there were, there were definitely books that sort of helped guide me um, in terms of understanding <laughs> the, that allowing myself to release those feelings of anger and resentment were going to benefit me personally in, in a very positive way. And I still, like I said, I still have boundaries with my dad um, because there are still aspects of the relationship which are not healthy, but they don't trigger me in, in a way which creates anger for myself. It's just, it's more, again, from a, from a perspective of self-preservation. Adam, um, some of the books that he mentioned, are, are any of those books that you personally know? Uh, I've for sure, uh, the four agreements, amazing book, definitely recommend that to, to everyone. Um, you know, just phenomenal read it. Um, but Ryan, whenever you were saying that, uh, what kind of popped in my mind was, you know, you, you had this moment where, you know, you had the strife, the six years, then you kind of had this moment where it's like, okay, I need to let this go. Now you're beyond that. And you know, you, you have your studio and, you know, you teach dancers and you teach holistic health. What do you tell to like your clients and, you know, the people around you, like how they can, you know, help themselves out? Or is it more just through, um, you know, the, the teachings, the, the meditation and the workouts? Um, you know, what kind of do you, like, what kind of stuff do you do to like inspire, you know, the people around you? Because I mean, I'm sure a lot of those people are going through similar things that you are as well. I mean, one of the techniques that we use, uh, particularly in body art, um, is uh, understanding that integrated breathing is, is, is multifaceted and has a lot of different levels, a, lo a lot of different layers to it, right? Um, so, for example, when you inhale, you, you extract the oxygen from the environment you absorb the oxygen into the, the lungs, the soft tissue, the bloodstream, and then you exhale and you release uh, a, a waste product, the CO2, and then the process starts over again, right? And it goes on and on and on for about 80 years, 90 years. Uh, the first thing that you did when you were born, you took a breath in, and the very last thing that you're going to do when you pass is exhale, right? And everything in between is this cycle of inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And one of the things that we, we talk about is uh, body art is a, is a holistic training system. So it's, yes, of course, it's a physical training system, but it's also mental. It's also psychological. And it's also emotional because all four of those parts are, are affecting each other. Your, your emotional, um, the, the part of you which is emotional is, is, is affecting your physical aspect in very significant ways and vice versa. So you can actually look at your breathing as being a metaphor for the way that you interact with your emotions. So you have, for example, people who 
build sort of barriers, they build walls, and they don't allow themselves to experience emotion. They kind of create this moat. On the other hand, you've got people who experience emotion very deeply, and then they, they hold on to resentment or they hold on to anger for many, many, many years, and it creates a lot of physical uh, manifestations which are not particularly beneficial. And so the breathing provides a really beautiful way of understanding how we can interact with our emotions in a way which is positive and beneficial. Understanding that just like your inhale, you allow the emotion to come in. You don't block it out. You sort of absorb it. You sense what it is to feel angry or you sense what it is to feel uh, disappointed or uh, confused or frustrated or anxious or worried. And then here's the important part, the exhale. Then you have to allow yourself to let it go so that you can then experience another emotion. You allow it, you feel it, and then you release it. It's, it's, it's a very tangible way to experience what becomes very cerebral. We hear this word mindfulness a lot. And I think when you really understand like this moment by moment experiential process of feeling an emotion, allowing yourself to lean into it, and then most importantly, letting it go so that another emotion can come in, just like you have this process with your breathing. This becomes a really beautiful way to stay connected, to stay mindful as to what you're feeling in that moment, but at the same time also decenter yourself so you can actually kind of observe the process. Um, there's a beautiful story about a monk. It's a Buddhist story in the Tao Te Ching where the Buddhist monk is on a bridge and he's looking down in the water and he sees these two fish fighting. And the point of the story is to say that the fish which are in the water are fighting. They don't notice the Buddhist monk or they don't notice the monk on the bridge, but the monk is on the bridge and simultaneously observing what's happening in the water. And in the same way, you can have a, a sort of decentered consciousness where you can be having an interaction in the water and at the same time be observing yourself having that interaction. And in that way, it's not, it's not forcing the emotions to stay out, but it's also allowing yourself to have a little detachment so that you're not constantly being kicked from, you know, kicked from side to side by this roller coaster, which we call life. Wow. That is beautiful, man. And thank you for, for that very long explanation, because that's so important. And one of the things that really just, I feel exemplifies that is the letting it go. Because I feel like we're all we all know how to experience emotion. We all know how to feel. We all know how to you know, kind of like deal. But the one thing that I think that gets left out in the process more often than not is just letting it go, you know, being able just to, to release. And, you know, your story, what you've told us so far today is just your, you know, mastery in the release because you've had so many things happen. I mean, especially, I mean, six years is a long 
time. Being able to release that and just forgive, move on, and then now live in the present moment, be mindful with your boundaries that can say, hey, there's emotions, but I'm going to choose to observe them rather than dive into the water and either break up this fight or continue the fight with the fish. So thank you, Ryan. That is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think if, if anybody can really understand <laughs> this concept, it's New Yorkers. <laughs> because I always, I always tell New Yorkers, I say, look, I want you to walk from, uh, walk from 92nd Street down to Columbus Circle and just count how many things you smell. I'm sure there's quite a bit. Albert would know yeah, a lot. That'll more keep you busy. <laughs> yeah, some, ba- some bagels probably as you approach Zay bars. Yeah, probably a couple of uh, not very pleasant smells at the 79th Street uh, subway station. Yeah, um, yeah, it, you know it, it's really really true. I mean, there's basically an infinite amount of information, and and that's there right before you that completely breezes you by, and um, you know that's a great that's a great exercise. Maybe start with smelling uh, that that walk and then maybe there's there's some other sense that you're going to focus on the next time you take that walk and and get out of your own head essentially basically instead of your head rumbling around look outside your own head yeah and also to to remember that like for example let's say you are walking down the street and you experience uh, a, a an unpleasant smell right uh which is which is part of living in New York, right? If you keep walking, you know, just a couple steps further, now suddenly you're smelling coffee. And then that might bring us, that might put a smile on your face. It might not. But if you walk a couple steps further, now you smell the bakery, right? In other words, whether whether you enjoy that moment or not, it's not going to last. And in a few moments, you're going to smell something different, which is going to have, which is going to trigger another sensation with you. Right. And in the same way, if you're angry right now, there's a very high probability that in 15 minutes, you're not going to be angry anymore. If you let it pass, if you let it pass, but even, even with time, your, your, your sensation will inevitably allow you to feel something else. Yeah, Adam turned me on to the, this meditation app and this comparison of these fleeting um, emotions in our inside being the clouds that pass uh, across the sky and they're constantly changing. That imagery is very, very, very powerful and, and uh, helpful. I mean, I, I, I've actually shared that often when I've seen friends kind of freaking out about something and i'm like they're just clouds just clouds let them pass let them pass and, and sometimes the next day somebody will tell me wow that cloud thing really helped it's so simple but the same way that talking about breathing uh that that's a great uh and 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 super helpful thing for us to remember to take a deep breath exhale uh you know let that stuff out brian my, my brian constantly talks about needing to get rid of the stuff, the, the negative stuff inside is the only way to make room for the positive things. You know, the more hatred inside you is the less room for love. I mean, it's true. There's a limited amount of space in your, in your being for, for your life. And you have to, the more you fill it with positivity, the better. Um, 
Ryan, I got to just say, you're amazing. Um, I want to go back to another Facebook post. You said um, one, it was just a meme that said, what is the opposite of toxic masculinity? Conscious masculinity, balanced masculinity, question mark. I'm just curious, you know, you've been, you've been living and teaching and doing your thing. Do you have a better definition of what, what the opposite of toxic masculinity is? Is it, is there a phrase that's come to mind or is it like a perpetual question? We have, we have to be aware of it and constantly, constantly think about it. Well, in, when I posted that question, I was, I was actually curious to see, you know, what people would say. And, um, the, the understanding is that anything can be, anything can be abused. Anything can be um, misused. And so when we talk about toxic masculinity, we're talking about aspects of masculinity which are out of balance, which are, which are um, uh, let, let me put it this way. There's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with being strong. However, if that strength is being used to subjugate somebody or that strength is being used to grab a pussy or if that strength is being used to um, dominate someone or uh, domestic violence, okay, now that strength has become abusive that strength has become toxic. But strength in and of itself is inherently isn't bad, right? So one of the questions that I ask is I say, is arsenic good or bad? It depends if you ingest it. Actually, no. So your body requires a, a trace amounts of arsenic to synthesize vitamin B. So who knew? Yeah, I mean, so at this point, um, you, you should have a, a trace amounts of arsenic in your system. Otherwise, your body can't synthesize the vitamin B. You can't break it down, right? Now, if you have slightly higher levels of arsenic, it'll shut all your internal organs down and you'll die. So what we say is that the poison is in the dose. It's not arsenic, which is good or bad. It's the amount of arsenic in your system, right? And this is true of almost everything. If you say water, is it good or bad? You say, well, water is great. And I say, well, not if you're drowning. Now water is not very good, right? So the poison is the dose. So in answer to your question, I would say the same thing, is that toxic masculinity is definitely imbalanced because the dosage or the abuse of the masculinity has created uh, a problem. So the opposite of that is, in essence, masculinity, which is uh, balanced with the feminine qualities. That, that, to me, would be the opposite of an imbalance, would be balance. And, of course, you could take that out to a more macro level and say that's kind of, as a society, as a sustainable, functioning, well-integrated society, 
that the balance is what we really should be craving, the balance between our freedoms and our responsibilities, the balance. So, so balance is just a great goal. It's not a, it's not a specific goal. You can't actually just say what that, it, it requires thought and, and engagement to, be, to, to really understand what, the, what that level is. That phrase, the, po the poison is in the dose, is that a, a Ryan original or did you lift that from, from uh, some other source? I like, I like the idea. There's, a, there's an amazing book called um, That Idea is Brilliant by John Brockman. And it's just a collection of essays. And uh, the, the poison is in the dose is something that he talks about in that book. Um, and with regard to looking at, looking at imbalance, and um, it's a fascinating book. I think, you, I think you both would really like that book. Um, I, I've been taking notes as you've been talking. I got a lot of notes here for follow-up. Yeah, I can, I can definitely, uh, I, I definitely recommend that book. Um, yeah, with, and, and this, is, this is actually to the essence of what body art's actually all about. Body art is a, is a physical movement training system which helps people find balance in their bodies first. And then in in finding balance physically, you can start to have the conversation on deeper levels. So emotionally, mentally, psychologically, finding balance. And this is this is the at the core. This is the core essence. This is the DNA of like what I do is is helping people find balance. The physical the physical aspect is the easiest because it's the most superficial. It's it's, it's what's Instagrammable, right? Um, Emotions are a little bit harder to Instagram. Um, and there's a whole world in each of us which is completely invisible um, because it's not surface. In fact, the part of you which is visible um, is a very, very, very small percentage of you as, a, as, a, as, a, as an entity. Um, I would say that your your psychological, your emotional, your traumas, your memories, your uh, dramas, your narratives, your stories play a far bigger role in making you who you are than just your physical side. The physical side is, is, is actually pretty, uh, is, a, is a very small percentage. It's important because it's how we interact with the physical world, but it's, it's a very small percentage of who you, who, who you actually are. Definitely. And, you know, I just for kind of our, our listeners out there, I kind of wanted to expand upon the balance and what it is to, to kind of feel balanced in there. Cause the, the masculine and feminine, feminine energy is something that both males and females need to have inside of their body. And finding that balance is, is so important. And just to kind of give a, a little bit of, a, you know, words and, and phrases that may, uh, you know, trigger that in their mind. So, with masculine energy, it's very, very much outward. It's very active energy. And, um, you know, kind of words that will show your masculine energy would be like confidence, inner strength, logic, logic, courage, boundaries. And on the flip side of that, you know, those are the positive ones. The negative emotions and the negative energy would be, you know, abuse, dominance, aggression, control, criticism. Um, those are very negative masculine emotions. 
Now your feminine side, which you absolutely need. And we talked, you know, actually a lot about today is the more inward stuff. It's, you know, intuitiveness, it's your passive, it's your reception. Whereas unconditional love, stillness, flow, like in breathing, allowing in creation, kindness, um, those would be the natural feminine energies. Whereas, you know, the negative side would be, you know, um, neediness, codependency, um, you know, oversensitivity and withholding um, there. So when it comes to balancing, you know, your, your masculinity with your feminine side, that's really showing that you need to have an active, you know, outward power, but also inward power here so that you can have boundaries and courage, but also be tender and kind towards others. So um, I just want to help our listeners kind of learn a little bit more about that. And Ryan, what would you say that, you know, your, your balance would be like in, in your eyes, you know, with those things, um, the, the, you know, appropriate balance for most people? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say three things um, to kind of give people some, some food for thought. So the first of all is that the goal, the goal is not actually, the goal is not actually balance. The goal is to understand that we are constantly in a process of finding balance and it's not a failure to lose balance. Um, it's not a failure to be out of balance, but it's pretty toxic to stay out of balance. So every day when you wake up, it's a process that you're finding balance. Every, every moment to moment, you have your, your it's kind of like being a surfer, right? You don't, you don't catch one wave and it becomes the perfect wave and then you hang your laurels on it because there's another wave that's going to come, right? So a surfer, a surfer doesn't say, I've achieved surfing, you know, because that's, there's always going to be another wave coming from another angle. So a surfer is constantly having to find balance. What you can do with practice is be able to find balance more quickly and also how quickly can you get back up on the board when you get knocked off a wave? And can you do that without a lot of like self-judgment and a lot of self-criticism, right? Like a, a, like a really experienced surfer gets knocked off his board and is back on the board in a second, right? It's not sitting in the water flailing and crying and, you know, saying I'm a failure. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing to think about is like, let me take, let me take this really, really big picture. So if you look at the actual observable universe, track with me for a second, it's about 8% matter, what we can feel, touch, manipulate, observe. So every single star, galaxy, planet, in the entire universe only makes up about 8% of the actual whole universe, right? Now about 60% of the universe is something which we call dark energy. It's called dark because we don't actually know what it is yet, but we do know that it pushes matter away from everything else at the same speed. It's called the universal law of constant expansion. Then there's something else which is about 20% of the universe, which we call dark matter. Again, we don't know what it is, but we know that it 
pushes everything in. It's why the earth is round because there's dark matter all around the earth, pushing it in, making it like a giant snowball. Same thing with the moon, same thing with Jupiter, same thing with the, the reason that galaxies are disc shaped is because they're being pushed and smashed by dark matter. So if, if it was only matter and dark energy, you and I and the entire earth would be ripped apart. And if it were only dark matter and matter, you and I and the entire universe would get crushed. We would just get completely destroyed. So the only reason that you and I are actually even having this conversation is because you and I exist right in the middle between the pulling energy of dark energy, which is expanding the universe, and dark matter, which is trying to compress and crush everything. Right? That's why we exist, because of this balance. Now, we're going to go in the complete other direction. If I said, Adam, what are you physically? You'd say, well, I'm fingers and toes and elbows. And I go, no, 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 but even more, what are you? Okay, I'm muscle and I'm bone and I'm organ. I say, no, 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 what are you? Your cells, right? Approximately 50 trillion give or take. LeBron James is about 100 trillion because he has more mass. You're probably around 50 to 60 trillion cells. Now, every single one of those cells originated from two base cells, right? One of those cells was super highly competitive, constantly moving, and its energetic direction was up and forward. It was like a NASCAR race. The other base cell was completely not competitive and it was moving very, very slowly and its energetic trajectory was dropping. It was falling. So all the 50 trillion cells in your body have both of these energies vibrating in so like if I took a liver cell, your liver, your liver cell is 50% competitive, dynamic, moving forward and up, and 50% calm, not competitive, internal energy, which is descending. So that fusion of these two energies combining actually create every single cell in your body. So your body craves balance inherently because the actual cellular matrix of your body from the very beginning was depending on this balance between competitive and not competitive, between constantly moving and moving in a way which is very, very passive. From the energetic energy which is ascending and also the energetic energy which is descending. So your essence, like who you are as, 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 a, as an organism is based also on balance. So your job is to just be aware and then understand that every day you're going to cultivate and feed what your body is naturally uh, tending towards what's the natural tendency 
natural tendency wants to be in balance. So I think those are really interesting things to kind of think about. Well, now we insert the mind blown emoji. I'm not sure what which emoji you use for the mind blown. I just want to know, did you read a lot of science books or like, uh, did you have, I mean, obviously you trained a lot and learned a lot about dance, but did you also have a, a deep interest in science and study it? Or is this just something, uh, things that you've learned along the way? I mean, I, the whole composition of the universe thing, I'm gonna have to go back and listen a couple of times to completely comprehend everything that was discussed, but it was kind of brilliant. Um, I, <laughs> I would say that I'm, I, I definitely endorse create, uh, curiosity in all its forms. And so I'm, I, have, I, I have dance friends, but I also have friends who are physicists. I have friends who are mathematicians. I have friends who are economists. Um, my, my friend circle is, is very diverse. And so... Um, now you have friends who, friends who do the, the podcast for more empathy and uh, trying to create more empathy in guys. So we're part of your friend circle. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so no, I'm I'm laughing about it, but I just want to say I think you're kind of a unique creature. You have like a joyous energy about you, which is like what to me any human being who has joyous energy. Our goal is to learn from them, and our goal is to encourage them. So we want to we want to do both of those with you. But while we have you while we have you here, and and I know I don't, I'm sure Adam feels the same way. We could talk to you for several hours. I do know you have other things going on. Uh, today can you just give us a little bit of a, a broader sense are you kind of going day to day doing your dance your choreography body art instruction is there a particular like uh my my dream destination is i want my uh, here's the the perfect way for me to uh to share the totality of my gifts or is it is it more of a piecemeal approach for you because i mean we want to tell people go check out your body the body art website maybe i don't know how uh, across the country you guys are i know you guys have some some uh, body art uh, activities that go on in other other places but I, i'm just curious what your what your little what your little dream scenario is for ryan or is it just just being ryan day to day <laughs> no i mean right now uh, right now my big project is to create an actual physical space where we can where body art can have a home right now we're sort of operating out of a lot of different partnerships with different venues and they've all been really amazing i can't say enough about them and how supportive they've been but um at a certain point you know i i say that uh, i feel like a chef and i'm cooking out of about 10 different kitchens and so right now i'm talking to uh finance and investors and um if you know any finance or investors who are are interested in in the, in a project which is um, which has some sort of big picture goals beyond just you know you know a quick return, but actually doing something for society. Um, then yeah, I would be very well. I'd be very happy to talk to those individuals. Well, if um, we come across them, we we will expect that our part of the deal to be a little studio in the back. Oh yeah, absolutely. You got it. Done. Fabulous. <laughs> Um, it's a great goal. I mean, it's a great, it's a great goal. And, and, and you're, you served up as a chef today with words and creativity and, and imagery. So many things. I mean, Adam, I can't even begin. I mean, I, I knew Ryan was a cool dude, but now I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're going to have to geek out about the, the law of vibration, uh, f further, uh, after this conversation. Cause I, I love that stuff. Like I was just 
you know, I, I was sitting here just kind of like off to the side, just like, dude, this guy is, he's onto it. Like he knows he gets it. So <laughs> I, I'm just stoked, man. That's awesome. So Ryan, we're going to definitely have you back in, in the, in the future. Uh, any, anytime I, I, we know we just got to, you know, set it up and you'll be able to just divine some beautiful wisdom for us. Thank you. I mean, you've, you've been just an incredibly great guest and I just thank you personally for the, for the, and the joy and energy you brought into my home. Absolutely. And I would just, I would, I, I, I would give you, uh, I would love for you and Adam and your, your listeners, uh, one piece of homework. Just if, if you're curious, I want you to look up purple red scale. Purple red scale? Yeah, just Google purple red scale. And I think we should have a follow-up conversation at some time just about purple red scale. Scale as in S-K-I-L-L or scale? Uh, scale as in like a spectrum, S-C-A-L-E. Okay. Purple red scale. You'll Homework. find very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's cool. All right, save that for the next episode, Adam. Definitely next episode. Yeah, All right, we're gonna we're gonna do our, our wind down. Adam is gonna uh, bring us out of the episode, and we're gonna ask you to just join a, uh, join us at the very end by saying your name as we sign off with ours. So he, here's Adam. Well, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Ryan Daniel Beck. Thank you for listening. <laughs>